So, so we're on our new Masechet, Shkalim, which we have a Yushalmi on. Everybody wants to know why is Shkalim included in the Dafyomi. I don't, ha- I only have my speculations, although somebody told me they thought they saw some, some, somebody did a study on it. I mean, it's really the decision of the, uh, first, uh, uh, Dafyomi to, uh, to include it. Um, my guess is, is that, first of all, it's printed in the Bobbly, and, uh, I don't know of any other Yushalmi that we have. That's printed in the Bible. Of course, that begs the question: Why is this printed in the Bible? In the Yushami, I, maybe the answer to both of them is the same, which is that it's the one mesachet in Moed that we don't have covered in the Bible. So, as opposed to Zerayim, where we only have brachos, um, you know, this is the one exclusion, and it's small. So maybe it was done for completion. But be that as it may, we are doing Shkalim with Yerushalmi. Um, Shkalim also, in terms of the organization of the Mesech, of the Seder, comes after Yom. People might be aware, since um, the normal order of the Mesechos in a Seder go by the number of Prakim. So conveniently, you have Shabbos and Erevin, which are conceptually first anyway, and then you have Plachim. And if you think, you know, it's Sachodesh Zelachem, it starts with uh, with Nisan, so that all works out very nicely. Uh, but then the next one after that is Yoma, Yom Kippur, which does not work so well. Um, so we actually have reorganized that for the Bavli and made it Rosh Hashanah Yom Sukkah. So that's in the order of the of the uh, Moadim that's come in Tishrei. There's nothing on Shua, so it works perfectly. You have the Nisan Moed, and then you have the Tishrei Moadim. It works perfectly. But it really is not that way. It's really that Yoma comes first, and it's really that Shkalim comes after Yoma, because Shkalim has fewer prakim than Yoma. But I imagine the reason it was put here is because, as we saw, you're collecting right around um, Pesach time. You start back at Ba'adar, and you're bringing the, you want the new Shkalim gathered for Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So it is, you know, so it, I don't know. So anyway, but it's actually, it's more in that Parsha, so hence the organization of it here. Um, um, for cultural tension, the ancients did things as you said, simply pragmatically by how long right. they were. But we want things they to have a little bit more. By the first mm-hmm. word. Right. The Quran is actually organized that way. <laughs> oh God. Um, <laughs> anyway, no, I just say that because I tried reading that, and I <laughs> it is, it, it's not easy reading. Anyway. Um, so let's pick up now on what Gimel Amidala, but that's always never really the way to refer to the Yerushalmi. The Yerushalmi is either referred to by Perak and Halacha, uh, or um, actually it's by an Amud, but an Amud based in the original um, Venice printing, which actually has, I've always found this very strange, because you will find sometimes a reference to Yerushalmi of like, Daf, you know, Samach um, Gimel Amud Gimel. Now, from the Bavli perspective, an Amud is the side of a page. So how do you have an Amud Gimel? What you have like a three-dimensional page? But an Amud actually means a column. So the way the Bavli is constructed, there's only one column per page. The original, the, 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 one of the early printings of the Yerushalmi had two columns on each side of a page. So Amud Gimel would be column three, which would be page B, column one. So it could go up to Amud Dalet. But anyway, we have it here. We will just use the Bavli printing because that's also the way we're going to be organizing ourselves. So I believe we pick up on the top of the line of Gamal So we're now at the second stage of the Mishnah, which spoke about collecting the Shkalim, which is going to be the theme, but other things, and Rosh Chodesh Adar, so that the Korbanot of each year would come from a new collection each year. Um, and now we continue with Metaknina Tadzrachim. It should also be mentioned, you know, again, why do we have Yerushalmi? Why, why was this more relevant to Eretz Yisrael than it was, I mean, you know, th- than it was to Bavel? Um, so uh, it, it should be mentioned that there was a regular tax that um, the Nasi 
sort of supervise. I have to remind myself of this. I learned this a long time ago when I took a class in, uh, you know, classical history. But anyway, um, but there was a some type of a similar taxation that actually occurred under the Romans um, each year, um, and that actually was also collected not just for the Romans, but it was even collected from Babel, from the diaspora, for, you know, for the sake of the uh, Jewish community um, in Israel. So there is some type of a um, of a historical parallel to this Masechet and to things that were actually happening, um, at least at the time of the Mishnah. I don't know about the, the time uh, of the Gemara Yushalmi. Anyway, if somebody here knows, um, we are welcome to contribute that. If not, I'll, I'll try to refresh my memory on that. But there was a tax that actually was collected, I believe, on an annual basis under the Romans. A, there was a Romans collected, a, Jude- a Jewish tax, um, number one. Number two, there was a tax that was collected by the patriarch, um, you know, by the house of the Nasi from the members of not only the Jews living in Israel, but even the Jews in diaspora on an annual basis. Um, and I don't remember the exact... Yeah, I, I got to remind myself of the details and how. Yeah, I'll try to remind myself of those and how whether continued into the time of the Gemara or not. But anyway, it is worth noting that there was some parallel there. I'll try to uh, get you some information on that tomorrow. Okay, so anyway, so after we discuss the issue about collecting the tax. Um, we now, um, other things that relate to Adar, so we mentioned about, of course, the Kriyat Megillah, um, which, and now we pick up at the top, Metaknina Tadrachim Vetzarachavot Vetzamikvaot HaMayim Veosim Kotzarchei HaRabim. So also in Adar, you fix the way, the, uh, the roads and the, and, and the, uh, the alleys, um, presumably it's been a rainy season now, it's becoming to be the spring, so you want to clean everything up, especially also people hopefully are going to be coming up Larego, also coming up maybe to pay their shkolim. Um, and the mikvaot, which also got, you know, rained and they're ruined. They were sort of holes in the ground. So they were not necessarily the nice fancy mikvaot that we, we have. Yeah, but not, it's not supposed to get all muddy and unusable. Um, and you do all the needs of the rabbin. Now, we quote, Elohim Tzrochei Rabin. Now, this is a Mishnah in Moed Katan that has nothing to do with us because it's another cat- use of the category of Tzrochei HaRabim, but in this context, it's about things that can be done on Cholomoyer. Cholomoyer, you can do Tzrochei HaRabim. So, this is not to be, it's quoted here because of the parallel, but not to be assumed that the following list are things you Dafka did in Adar. Okay? Dunim Dini Mominis, these are things you can do on Cholomoyed. You can have uh, courts, uh, civil courts, hold civil courts, Vidini Nefashos, and courts about, you know, uh, relating to uh, life issues, capital crimes, Dini um, Makos, or, or, or lashes. Um, so you can run your court system on Cholomoyed. You can do types of transactions that relate to the base of Mikdash. You can redeem things that have been, um, you know, that you have sort of sanctified to the base of Mikdash. The difference between Erech and Cherem, we won't, and Hektesh, we won't talk about those distinctions right now. Uh, well, oh, um, but anyway, there's different terms you use. Hektesh sanctifies the object. Cherem is a little bit of a question whether the object goes to the Kohanim or to the Beit HaMikdash. Erechin is if you say, the Erech of this person is on me, and then you pay a fixed value based on that person's age and gender. So all those types of, anyway, transactionary um, activities, but that relate to the Beit HaMikdash, you're allowed to do on Cholomoe. Umashkin Sota. 
that's interesting, right? Because maybe it deals with, I don't know, erasing, uh, you know, what exactly yeah. would be the concern, why that has to be mentioned, other than, I mean, you know, maybe again, it assumes that Korbanot are taken for granted, and these are things that, it's a, it's a general question in terms of the Gemara when we learn Sota, how much of the Gemara tries to incorporate Sota un, into a type of a din, right. as opposed, to a, as opposed to a ritual that's done in the Beit HaMikdash. So this is, intre- you know, so it's interesting why that's singled out. The surfing et a para, but it does seem here to be in the context of things done in the Beit Hamikdash beyond korbanot, which presumably go without saying. You burn the para aduma if you have to get ashes. Um, um, the orphan egla arufa, you do an egla arufa if you have to go out to a city and do an egla arufa. Clearly, that's of a communal concern. Um, the rotin evet ivri. Now that's interesting because that you would think is a private person's concern to do the uh, piercing of the ear of an evet ivri in order to make him if he wants to be a evet olam. So I really don't know why that's considered to be a communal concern. Uh, maybe no. It's right. It's interesting the shift. I mean, the Par'ah anyway was a Mikdash related, but it was done outside of the grounds of the Mikdash. Egla Rufa certainly not, right? So we're moving outside of the Mikdash. But the Rotzin Evid Ivri, I really don't know why. Um, again, obviously it does relate to, you know, you know, SEC Vespanai, so it relates to him and his family as well. So it relates to other people, not just you personally. Um, and, but why that's considered a Starche Rabim, I don't know. Umitarin is Hamitsora. Okay, you do the Tara process, not just the Korbanot, which is again taken for granted of a Mitsora. That presumably is a communal concern because you don't want a Mitsora in your midst. Um, and it's not just about him privately. Umefarkin esaminame agabe hamayim or haimum, really. Now this is no longer part of the Mishnah. This actually is an addition to the, to, to the Mishnah that's added by a Tosefsin Moed Katan. And now we're no longer talking about communal concerns. We're talking about Masahedyot, things that are considered untrained labor as opposed to skilled labor. So you can remove, if you have a shoe that's being made and it's on like a horn, on a type of a, you know, mold on which it's being sewn and made and it's done, you can remove it from that, from that mold, from that, form, from that horn. The machzirinoto. Yeah, what's the wrong gear set? Imum. Okay, the machzirinoto, and you cannot restore it to that because that is something that's a, that more requires craftsmanship. Okay, so anyway, that's a list of things you can do on Cholomoed. It says Sarche Rabim, but the Gemara actually is quoting that. Interestingly, it doesn't do anything with that Mishnah. It really is getting into another Mishnah about things you can do on Cholomoed. So it's very strange that it starts us with that Mishnah. Here's another Mishnah of things you can do on Cholomoed. This is from the very beginning of Moed Katan. Taman Taninan, over there we taught, over there in Moed Katan we taught. Maskin Desashalchen and Umetsainin Esak Al Hakvarot. You can irrigate, um, um, you know, irrigated fields that, that need it, and that if you don't irrigate them, they'll dry up. And you can uh, designate where there are graves. You can put uh, gravestones and other types of paint and designation. So, Kwanin Dopin Kamtame. All these you can do on Cholamoed. And the third line there is, um, which is cut out, but the Gemara will quote later, is, where is it? It's, quote, it's quoted somewhere here. Hold on. Um, what's the third line? The third line is a minute. Um, I think it's quoted in the Kormaneda. One minute. 
The Tanakh was Vyotin Afal Asilayim B'moed was the end of the Mishnah. Okay? So you designate the Kfarot and Yotzin Al HaKilayim you send people out to uproot Kilayim if they're growing in the field and you do that on Cholomoed. So those two Mitzayin Es HaKvaros Vyotin Al HaKilayim is exactly what we mention in our Mishnah. Our Mishnah says right the end of our Mishnah is so exactly those two is the one that's mentioned in the beginning of Moe Katan. So the line in the Mishnah of Osim Rabim, it quotes this whole Mishnah of for Cholom Moed. Um, but why, it's, it's unclear whether by quoting that Mishnah, the Yushami means to suggest um, that these are all the activities you do starting on uh, Rosh Chodesh Adar. Why Dafka you have to say you do these, these activities you do throughout the year? So again, quoting this Mishnah about Sarche Rabim is unclear, but now we're looking at the end of our Mishnah and making another parallel to Moed Katan, where the end of our Mishnah speaks about the graves and the um, Kilayim, and that's exactly what the first Mishnah Moed Katan talks about, that you go out to designate graves and pull out Kilayim on Cholom There's a big problem, that from Adar to Cholom is a month. So if you did it in Adar, why do you have to do it on Cholomoe? So let's take a look. So the Gemara is going to ask those two questions about the Kilayim and the Kfarot. Okay, so let's take a look. So it says like this. Um, so the Gemara says, Lo Adar? I don't understand why you have to designate the graves. Didn't you already do it in Adar? So, um, so it says, All right, Batista, you can explain it. So, Sheyarat Shetev Shogeshamim Vishtafo. Um, that a uh, uh, you know a, pour, a, a downpouring of rain came down and it um, it wiped away the designation. You know they pi- might have designated it also with like lye um, and types of like you know white paint. So therefore, if it's very rainy, it, wa- it washes that away. It could also be, as we'll see, it washes away you know graves, uh, gravestones as well. So that's the case. Yes, it was a rainy season um, and uh, the rain had not finished and even though you did another, you might have to do it again on Cholomoed um, Nisan in the middle of, on Cholomoed Pesach in the middle of Nisan. Yes. No, it's not, a Yushalmi turn. Right? No, it's a Yushalmi turn. I'm trying to think of exactly what the Bavli um, analog is. Um, um, but it means you can explain it in the following right, way. Right. Like to tarate, you know, or to Right, restore, to explain, like to right. targemo to el kacha. clearly what the word means, but it's not right. I was just trying to think what the analog is. Maybe sort of like hacha askinan might be some type of a thing. Hacha askinan is very specifically like trying to create a circumstantial context for it. I think Tipater is similar to that. Okay. okay, but it's similar to the Bavli's Hachabamayaskina. Alright? So but right, this tour means to explain, to to yes. to 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 um to interpret it the yes. following way. Yes. Strange, though, right, but if you're off in the calendar and you haven't adjusted it correctly yet, which is what the Gemara is going to say in a minute, there could be times when that's going to be needed. And that's what we're going to deal with also in terms of the Kilayim. So let's take a look. So this is the end of that mission, Mori Katan. Woke for Yatsu, Meadar. Didn't they go out in Adar? Because if people have, you know, basically the point of the Kilayim seemed to be not necessarily that people are consciously planting Kilayim, but people aren't being conscientious enough to uproot um, errant seeds that might have fallen into their field and they're you know and they're going to now plant whatever wheat and they weren't paying attention that they dropped grape seed and now you have these little grape uh, sprouts coming up so the basin would send out people to mm-hmm. inspect it and to weed it and we'll see about the implications of that in a minute so didn't they already do that in Adar? 
So the year was Afela, which could mean dark. Okay, which means that it was still, um, it was a rainy season. It could mean also that, again, the calendar was off, so the uh, days still were not getting longer yet because um, the calendar wasn't totally in sync. And you could not see the, the sprouts, maybe because it was such, so dark. But somebody, uh, hard to imagine it was so dark all the time. Some want to read Afela as late, right? Ki hasil, um, what is it? Right, because which means late to sprout, which means that it was a late year in the sense, again, that the calendar was off, so even though it was other time, it was really earlier in the winter. You know, they had not fully adjusted the calendar. So the spring had not yet arrived by Nisan, and only by the Nisan time was it beginning to be the warmer season, and only then were the sprouts coming out. Okay, so that's how we explain our Mishnah, why you do it in other, and why you might have to do it again in Cholomoe. Our Mishnah says Tzarchei Rabim, there's a Tzarchei Rabim in Moikatan, hard to imagine that it's really the same thing. The Gemara doesn't really elaborate on Tzarchei Rabim anymore. Now because we mentioned designating graves, the Gemara focuses on that for a little bit. Minayim Litziyon. Um, with Siyun, right, Siyun, <laughs> Zion. How do you know that, um, how do you know you're supposed to designate graves? Rav Rachi, Rav Yaakov, Barbat Bar Yaakov, the son of the daughter of Yaakov, interesting. B'Shem Rebbe Chunya de Brat Chavrin, in the name of Rebbe Chunya from this place of Brat Chavrin, or Rebbe Yosi Amri, Rebbe Yosi Amri, Rebbe Yosi says it's Rebbe Yaakov Bar Acha. Rebbe Yosi, I thought it said Rebbe Yosi. Rebbe Yosi Amri, it's not Rebbe Yaakov Bar Yaakov, it's Rebbe Yaakov Bar Acha, B'Shem Chunya de Brat so a different uh, a different Amoran the name of Rabbi Chunya from Bat Chavrin Rabbi Chizkiah Rabbi Uziel braid Rabbi Chunya the Bat Chavrin and Rabbi Chizkiah says it's Rabbi Uziel the son of Rabbi Chunya from Bat Beit Chavrin so everybody says it's Bat Chavrin Beit Chavrin Brat Chavrin the same Rabbi Chunya the Beit Chavrin in the name of Rabbi Chunya from Beit Chavrin so very fascinating I don't know right exactly all these different names I don't know where Beit Chavrin is is there? So just like that. Interesting. It's by the Dead Sea. It's by the Dead Sea. Fascinating. Okay. It's actually, it's, uh, no, I think it's like, it's by Stabokir. It's in the middle of the Negev. Okay. It's right next to Stabokir. Okay. Very nice. So the trolley is in that place. Anyway, what's the statement? The Tamei Tamei Yikra. Tamei Tamei they will call out. That's by the um, Mitzorah. Um, so what does that mean? It means, Kedeshet Ehatuma Korol Chabasiyah. So the Tumah itself calls out to you. The Tumah announces itself. And so to stay away, okay, presumably that's the idea of Tanei Tanei by the Mitzorah, stay away. And here it means, it's explained by all Tumah, all Tumah should call out to you and announce itself so that you should know to stay away. Vomeret Lachan tells you, prosh, separate, stay away. Reb Ila B'Shem Reb Shuma Bar Nachman says, People will pass through the land and they'll see a bone of a man. And they will build by it a marker. Okay, now that is according to the Pshat of the Psukim is a marker in order to then move the bone. But from here we see the idea of making a marker by a grave. Um, so bone is to tell you that you make markers by where there are bones. The reason to emphasize bones here is number one, two things. 
as we're going to see, if there's only human flesh and no bones, you would not make a marker because the flesh would decompose. A marker is for long, is for long, is for stuff that's going to be there for a long time. Number two is the basic concern of markers is that Kohanim should not walk nearby and be over it and become Tameh. So it's only things that cause Tuma Ba'ohel. So even bones, if you have enough bones, not small amount, but if you have enough bones, they will cause Tuma in, uh, you know, by, by being over them. So you make it over bones. Adam, uh, the bone of a man, uh, anything that sort of represents the human being so it would be the spine and the skull because that would even be single bones that would cause tum- that would cause tumor ba'ohel the skull isn't part of Ethan? Well, the point is, by, by bones, you need a certain quantity to cause tumor ba'ohel. Here, it's even those as a single bones. Again, it's, a, it's an asmachta, okay? But it means the type of bones that would cause tumor ba'ohel. Either it's a quantity, or it's the skull and the, and the, and, and, and the spine, etc. Ubana, you should build a marker on it. Mikan shemitzvainin al-gabe even kavua. It's not so much al-gabe, but here you do a type of a binyan, a structure. So you make a marker with a fixed stone. It's not something that can easily be moved. Not just putting no, up, not just put a stone, not just let, put a stone down on it. No, it has to be something that's dug in the ground, that's built there, that's going to stay there. Okay? Why? For an obvious reason. If your marker, now it could mean actually not that you put a stone like we do, like we actually take a stone, we carve it, we write something out, we make a gravestone. It might mean the phrase of agabe even is again. You might be coming with your or whatever it is, you know, lie is that white stuff, right? Your lie, and you'll make a marker on a stone. Here's the grave, here's a nearby stone. I didn't put the stone there, I'm going to make a mark on that stone. Okay, but if you're going to make a mark on a stone, make it on a permanent stone, not on a stone that can easily be moved, because then the stone will move away, and the marker will move away. So, so below, you're going to make your mark on top of a movable stone, it'll go and make and cause tumas elsewhere. Now, not literally cause tuma, but make you identify a wrong place as being tamei, right? As opposed to the right place being tamei. So, if you're going to make a marker, you've got to make it on something that's going to be in a fixed location. It's low, nearby, right? So, it doesn't say you build on it a marker. You build near it a marker. The makom tara tziyun. You have to make the marker in the non-tame space. So you don't want to be on top of the grave and then realize there's a marker. You want the marker a little bit before you get to the danger area. So that's near it is the marker, not on top of it. Okay. Mikan oh, sorry, that's Lemakom Tahara. Tziyun, a marker. Mikan Litziyun, here you see the marker. I mean, that's what we've been talking about all along. Okay, so that's how we interpret each word of that pasuk. Umatzah. Um, so, that, now some, okay, so that's the end of the Pasuk. Some try to switch the Girsa, as you have seen in all, all these sort of little notes. The Girsa in the Yerushalmi is less uh, fixed than that of the Bavli, or less uh, stable, less certain. Part of it has to do with the fact that it was learned less, so there are very, very few manuscripts. We really only have one full manuscript of the Yerushalmi. Right. Other than that, we just have tiny little pieces. So one wonders, you know, what would have been the fate of this entire work if that one manuscript had been lost? Now, it doesn't mean that there was only one manuscript throughout history. It means that of all the manuscripts that there were, only one actually survived. Uh, the Leiden manuscript of the Yerushalmi. There's actually, a, we have downstairs... That's uh, Usman's edition, is that what you mean? Yeah, so there's this huge red Yerushalmi. It's the whole thing in one volume where they did a complete new transcription from that one manuscript 
manuscript. Okay, but it doesn't mean just because it's the one manuscript that it's accurate. It's just the one full manuscript we have, and we have little pieces of it. So there's often a question of the girsa. Now, sometimes the reason that the girsa has changed is because people didn't understand the you know the exact Aramaic of the Yushalmi, so they'll switch the girsa to make more sense to them, or because you know. Um, they didn't understand just, you know, what the Yushami was doing. So again, you switch it to, you know, you massage it to make it make more sense. But sometimes actually there is a question of the actual correct girsa. So here, umatsa does not seem to be a continuation. It seems to actually be a new point of now a new halacha. Now that we're done with the psukim of Mikan Lutziyun and so on, that we know you build it, now we're talking about when you actually find a marker, what assumptions you're supposed to make. So let's take a look. If you see, find one stone that is uh, sort of marked, even though you don't put it there, meaning you don't have markers, as we said, directly on top of the mace. You have them nearby. Nevertheless, you have to be concerned that maybe somebody actually did it directly over the mace. So if you actually went and leaned over a marker, you can't assume, oh, I'm safe. Markers are always away from the mace. No. Even though you don't keep it that way and establish it that way over the maze, you still have to assume you're Tamei if you leaned over it, walked over it. And the Omer, Mate Mitsuyan Vayanatun Takteha. Again, some switch to the years from Mate Mitsuyan, but it means that they're, they're, the mate was like sort of maybe, um, you know, folded over and maybe it was directly underneath the markers. Although the markers should be away from the mate, you can't assume you're safe once you bump into the marker and once you go over the marker. So the markers you're talking about is unclear to me because we tend to think they're stones. Right. Or something like that. But, but I also understand that you're talking about lime. Yeah, that's a lime. I was saying lie. I meant lime, right? So this is more like a powder. Kind of right. Mark the ground itself. And that's how it can wash away. Right. It did talk about stones. Right. It did talk about stones. Right. But it's not like you take a gravestone and you carve a gravestone. You use the sort of terrain that you have in front of you, and you take this lime, lime or lime, lime, L Y though, L Y like lime, L I M E in English. Lime, okay, lime. not lime. Okay, I was saying lime, but it's lime. Anyway, right. You take this and you basically like paint, I imagine, like white marks around the grave okay, or on the stones nearby. I, right, but here we see it's supposed to be a little bit removed from the grave so you're not on top of the grave by the time you hit it. Right, then that's the irony that when you actually do it, we're going to miss you coming anyway because if we're, you know, we're understanding this correctly. I will say it's fascinating that the only idea of marking graves is about a concern of Tum'ah. There's no idea idea that like you want to know where you want to remember where your you know where your parents are buried you want to be able to go go there for a yard site you know this idea it's fascinating you know we've our approach towards the Metim and in the Gemara the, it's, it's all about a tumor concern yes so to one a short technical question on the Pasuk is there was there an indicator like in the Babli Yichtib Shinemar was there any indicator that a Pasuk was not being quoted Oh, yeah, that's a good point. In the Ushami, the Ushami does that less. I um, mean, actually, yesterday also, it just started quoting Sukim. It yeah. never said Shanema. I don't know if it never does it, but the Ushami, very often, the Ushami introduces text whether it's a Pasuk, whether it's a Tosefta, without any introduction. Very difficult. Right, it doesn't signal where we're, right. Like this point here about Matzah Evan Achat, you know, I believe some say that that's a tos- I, I believe it's some say it's a brighter. It's a tosefta, right? So if, if it's quoting a tosefta, we don't even know that it did the shift. Yes, yeah, you look in the Misar Hashas, it says that that's a a tosefta. 
and we don't even know that it did the shift. So you're right. Not only psukim, any introduction of text is often done without a signaling of it. And this last idea that you just read, that's similar to the statement, I forget where it's from, but in the Tayyanim, it's kid right there, shechachamim, ma'aseihem, tiyunim. Right, exactly. Not so, on nefesh, on the word nefesh, nafshoteihem, the nefesh is a tiyun. Right, right. So there seems to have not been the practice of visiting... Although, they did have those family gravesites yeah, where they the, buried them in the, in the kuchim, in the caves, and whatever. Yeah, so, right. So it is quite interesting, though, that clearly, you know, they're, the focus on going to the uh, graves of, of family members was very diff- was not did not seem to be so strong. Okay, so let's keep on going. Um, well, or you could say that, like you know, yeah. most of the time, you know, it wasn't caged. Didn't need to mark it. Right, so they have so to know. Someone with me and no family. Right, family. right. Know, it was like you know. The person who was killed. Yeah, sort war. of like sort of you know, right, like Potter's Field or yeah. something. It was not somebody that had a family a yeah. family grave. Right, yes, the possibility too. Okay, Hayushtayim. Um, now, if there were two stones that were marked. You can assume if it's only one stone, and this is why you have to be kosher for the one stone, because where's the whole circumference? So maybe if it's only one stone, the mace is directly under it. But if it's two stones, then you assume that's marking the, you know, the space between the two stones. So then you can assume that the stones themselves are okay, and it's the space between them that is a problem. So as long as you have a clear area marked off, you can assume that the actual marked stones are okay. Uh, 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 now, where were we? If the space between the two stones was plowed, then you've got a problem because you presumably would not plow where there was a grave. And then the stones are like two individual stones. The space between them is okay. Right uh, directly around them, meaning under them and maybe nearby, you know, in a little bit of an expanded circumference is Tamei, because again, they're not marking off an area, so you assume that the mate is directly underneath. Tani, it's on the Brita. So here we introduce it as a Brita, right? You do not make a marker over just human uh, flesh that does not have a bone. Lest the flesh be decomposed and it won't, the marker is more permanent. So that's so, okay, but so what? At least you'll be safe. So let's take a look. Rabbi Yosef Arshunam Bai Kome Rabbi Mana. Rabbi Yosef Arshunam asked in front of Rabbi Mana, the Lonim Samitami Tara Samafreya, won't you wind up making Tame, you know, being the Tame Tahar, things that are Tahor? Because you're not going to, the word Lamafreya is a little funny, but the point is you're not going to mark it. So at, at a later time it'll be Tahor. But in the interim, there'll still be human flesh there, and somebody will become Tame, and it won't be marked. And he'll go ahead and be Tamei and not be aware that he's Tamei. Amalei, mutav shiit kalkulu bo kalkulu bo liolam. It's a very powerful phrase. I'd rather that there be a period of time where it leads to error and that people actually are Tamei and they think they're Tahor than for all future times it be an error. And that, you know, for permanently people are going to think that they're Tamei when they really are Tahor. And the fascinating thing is that he's actually willing to allow, meaning he, 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 he wants to do that to save from an unnecessary chumrah, right? Let people think, oh, let people, what does he me? Let people think they're always tummy. So what? It's just a chumrah. No, he doesn't want to create that type of a unnecessary chumrah for a long period of time, at, and he'd rather be allowed people to actually be more makeal than is appropriate, think that they're tahor when they're tummy. So it's a quite fascinating statement. 
Let's look at the next. We got to keep on moving. Let's look at the next Mishnah. Mishnah. Amar Rabbi Yehuda. Bar Yishona Hayu Oklin Umashlichan Lishneim. I should also mention by the idea, not like it's come particularly relevant here, but we don't know the Mishnah that the Yerushalmi was referring to. Meaning, in the mo- most texts of the of the Yerushalmi Mishnah, they just take a, a text of a Mishnah from some other from some other Mishnah text. Um, but sometimes part, we have a hard time understanding the Yerushalmi because we don't realize that the text of the Mishnah they had was actually different than the one that's printed with mm-hmm. the Yerushalmi. Oh, okay, so right. just being to be aware. See, the Gemara, when it comments on it, it's coming in a different text. Yeah, the, 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 the printer just took a Mishnah and slapped it here. But, we ne- but the actual Yerushalmi, the one manuscript we had, had the Gemara but didn't have the Mishnah. Right. So we don't exactly know which, what was its exact text of the Mishnah that it was commenting on. Okay. Amar Rav Yehuda. So said Rav Yehuda. Now, when they're going out of a kilayim, originally, they would uproot the sprouts of kilayim and throw it in front of the owners. When the sinners increased, they threw it out into the roads. Then they established that if people had kilayim growing in the field, they would make the whole field ownerless and come and seize the field or seize all what's growing in the field. So let's take a look at what this history is about. Amar Rebbe Yehuda Tani We taught him by Amar Rebbe Yehuda Barishona Hayu Okinu Mashlichim Lifneim They would uproot and throw it Hayu Smeichim Sheitz Machot The owners of the fields would be very happy Achaz Shayu Menach Shin Sadotayim One is that the based in is coming and weeding their fields right it just encourages sloppy behavior if I know Basin's going to come along and remove all the errant sprouts so wonderful I'm not going to bother doing it myself they'll come and take care of it then they would throw those sprouts out and I'd feed it to my, at my animals and I'd get benefit which is you know now by, if you can get Hana from Kilayim if it's not Kilayim HaKerem but anyway still it would be inappropriate look at all the benefit they would get for actually not being careful about Kilayim Misharabu over Avera. So once that increased, and it just led to uh, worse behavior, they would throw it on the on the road. and even so, so that prevented them from actually feeding it to their animals. they would still be happy. that the basin would actually be uprooting, uh, would be weeding their field. So then they decided, if this is the problem, now may, they might still have uprooted the kilayim, they don't want kilayim growing, but, but they're going to fine you if you allowed this to happen, and they'll make the whole sada hefke, which I don't know again means whether people would actually seize the land or just seize the crops, but there was going to be an actual real negative consequence to this. There actually is a phenomenon like this, I'm trying to remember what it's called. I, I heard an NPR piece about it about, about, about like a month ago, where you know the government tries to create some type of a of a thing to deal with a problem, and it actually has the exact opposite effect. Like they, you know, like they tried to sort of say like they did something with the farmers, like if you know for every because uh, the pigs were destroying the fields, so every pig that's killed, a wild pig, you go ahead and you know they get a bounty on it. And of course, what that just led to is people raising the wild pigs in order to get the bounty. <laughs> so there's actually like a name for this type of a phenomenon where it actually engenders the exact opposite behavior that you're trying to address. <laughs> All right. So anyway, now that we said that Basin would, would make the whole field Hefker, that leads us into a classic discussion in the Bobby and the Ushalmi of Hefker, Basin, Hefker. Minayin Hefker, Basin, Hefker. Where do you know that things that Basin makes ownerless, that that is effective? 
because it says, and this is specifically in the context like it is here in the Mishnah, of imposing a fine, of actually, you, you know, sort of using the sort of, uh, uh, um, the, you know, the, the, the regulatory, not regulatory, the, the punishing authority of Bastin. The This is by Ezra, in, 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 in say for Ezra, when they were trying to call everybody together. Anybody who doesn't come within three days, based on the sort of, you know, ruling advice of the um, charge of the, of the elders, all of their property will be will be banned. Um, this person will be driven out of the community. So they understand. means that you no longer own your property, and then presumably anybody can come and take it. So again, that's very much in the context of a knas of a fine, um, and that's the context of this mishnah. It is worth noting that the bodily users have to base in after many times, not for a fine, but just normal pakanot mm-hmm. of basin in order to you know deal give basin power in civil areas uses that, but that's not the immediate context of this pasuk or of this mishnah. Okay, now minayin kipshur minamasros. If you say that the field is hefker, then hefker grain is not obligated in so people can take it. How do you know that this idea is so powerful that it actually exempts the grain from masa? Now, to me, that's a funny question, because once it's hefker, it's hefker, and all the natural consequences of hefker should apply. But let's take a look. So Rav Yonasan hears it from the following. Um, people often point out, by the way, that there's a fascinating difference that the Bavli, when it introduces a text, says, Tashma, come in here. And the Yushami says, Tachazi, come and see. So, you know, difference about, do you talk about, like, how you learn, how you, you know, new, new material encounter it, you sort of hear something or see something. But, of course, the Yushami also uses here, Shama Lamin Hada. He hears it from here, you know. So it is interesting, though, to note that verb, those, the use of those verbs. You do not make an Eber year at a month if it's a Shemitah year, because you don't want to stretch out Shemitah another year. So there, it's a hardship. And not in a Motzei Shemitah. Why? Because Motzei Shemitah, you need all the grain that you've been growing, right? right? The new grain that you're growing. And if you add a month, you add the month before Nisan. You add it in other. And that's going to take another month before the Omer is brought and before you can benefit from the grain. Okay, so you don't make an Ibruah, but if they did, Harezim Uberet, so that, then it does work. So you see, Basin can add a month to Shemitah. So when you add a month to Shemitah, then that month, anything that grows in that extra month is going to be exempt. So you see, Basin, when they, their power actually can make things exempt from Meister, which is such a bizarre proof which the Gemara is going to ask. That's because they made it a Shemitah year. That's because they have the power to add a month to the year. It's not a direct act, act of Hefker based in Hefker. But if Basin says that it's about to be too late of a spring, so they're not, even though Shemitah, they still really shouldn't do any more? Correct. They'll do next month. Okay. So the Gemara says like this. Um, don't Shviyas. Now, Mose Shviyas Mai, so we understand why they don't make the extra extra month in Shviyas. Why don't they make it, you know, Adko, or why don't they make it in Mose Shviyas? I'm a Rebbe Avun, Rebbe Boon, Shalolu Rabbos Bistur Chadash. Like I told you, not to make the prohibition of Chadash last an extra month when everybody desperately needs the grain, it's Mose Shemitah. Um, says, or Rebbe Avo, again, question of exactly the Gersa, Hadad at Amar, so, like, you know, when is this true? Um, 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 
when Rebbe still held the prohibition of bringing vegetables from Chutzlaret. There's all these interesting things in the time of Rebbe, in the time of Mishnah, about things relating to Chutzlaret. That the ground of Chutzlaret was Tamei. You know, some of these things had to do with concerns of Tumah. Some of these things had to do with, according to some historians and academics, about Takanot that were supporting, right, exactly, the local industry of Israel. Mm-hmm. So Rebbe did not want you to import any vegetables from Chutzlaret. A, to maybe support the local industry. B, it would come with the dirt of Chutzlaret, where there was Tumah concerns Correct. about, mm-hmm. and so on. Right? But then he sort of allowed, he loosened up on that, and he let people bring in vegetables. Once that's true, you can add a month to Shemitah, it won't be such a hardship, because you can just go ahead and continue to eat imported vegetables. So the whole idea of the hardships of Shemitah, and you know, the use of, uh, you know, here importing vegetables during the Shemitah year, and so on, is something that the uh, Yerushalmi was well aware of. Okay, Tani, Ein Ma'avrin, now, we're going to finish this point about um, not adding a month in Motzei Shemitah, that was way in the beginning when the years were the way they should have been. Okay? Now that the years are not their way they should be, we'll talk about what that means in a minute. The same is Shemitah, the same is the other years. What does that mean? So some say it means when we really had, you know, a basin and we had Yovel and we had Shemitah, the way we're supposed to have our Shemitah years, then Shemitah was no egg and you couldn't add a month to the year. But nowadays, you know, when maybe Shemitah isn't done at all or maybe it's only rabbinic, you know, it's not so, well, post Chorban Abayas. This is one way of reading it. Then Shemitah maybe isn't no egg nowadays and you can add a month. There's a big problem reading it that way is that, you know, Shemitah is no egg nowadays. It's true, there's a debate whether it's biblical or rabbinic, but it's very hard to read it like, oh, Shemitah doesn't matter so much nowadays. So others have the gears, uh, not he shall Shviyas, but he shall Motzei Shviyas. He shall Sharshnei Shavuot. We've already explained why you can add a month to Shemitah, because you're allowed to import vegetables. Now we're explaining why you can add a month to Motzei Shemitah. Why? Because it's saying now our years are all screwed up. What does that mean our years are all screwed up? Now, if we have to add a month to a year, going back to the theme beforehand, it's because we're still in the middle of winter. So by adding a month, we're not postponing eating the grain. If we're adding a month, it's because the grain won't be ready for a month. So therefore, we do it, when we do it now, we do it for a reason that is, um, that makes it acceptable, even Motzei Shemitah. Now, yeah, I was gonna, I was waiting for that question. Before also, you know, even if they, they also added it when it was necessary. So I don't know the exact answer. Alright, now the Gemara gets back to, it's interesting, it completely digresses. It put out there the proof of this that Basin can make something putter from Isis because they add a month to Shemitah. And now it gets back and says why it wasn't a good proof. So let's take a look. I'm a Rabbi Avon. Rabbi Avon said, <coughs> if, you, if that's your proof that Basin can make something putter from Isis because they could add a month to Shemitah, you can't hear anything from it. I Meaning that's not a proof at all. Why is that not a proof at all? Shamor's go to Shaviv because their up their role in adding a month to the year is based on a pasuk. Observe the month of the spring. Make sure that Nisan comes during its right time and during the time of the spring. So of course they can add the month and that's their biblical role and then of course the Shemitah will be another month and it'll be a pasuk for Misa. But it has nothing to do with them directly making you know. Um, feels hefker and then the consequence of that hefker being an exemption from Meiser. 
Okay, the Haida Amarda, okay, that's an interesting, like, Yerushalmi thing, you know, the Heichan Omer Zeh is like what that phrase means. You know, where is this type of a thing said that you can, uh, that, that, that their act of making something Hefker actually works? Um, so, uh, hold on, let me just take a one, just, just, just one second. Um, right. Um, yeah. Okay, so the Haida Amarda, where is this said? So let's say what you did is, you know, when you are like the book of Ruth, when you're gathering in your grain, then the poor people are able to come and collect anything you drop. But before letting them collect what you drop, you piled up your big pile of grain in a certain space, and you never, first of all, made sure that that space underneath was cleared from the dropped grain that the Aniyim could get. So what's the halacha? So the halacha is, we say, the whole bottom layer of grain, anything that, any grain that's immediately touching the ground, has a status of leket, and the aniyam can take it, under, on, you know, at the bottom of your pile. Now, if it has a leket, what's the halacha of leket? Anything that the aniyam pick up, and that's matnas aniyam or whatever, is hefkar, and you don't give maestras. So you see, this is rabbinic. Biblically, it's not all leket. Rabbinically, we made everything that touches the ground leket, with the consequences that you won't take maestras. Okay, Hareze Shalanim. Bama Rabbi Ami and said Rabbi Ami Bishem Rabbi Shimon Lakish to Beit Shammai. That actual halacha is only according to Beit Shammai. How do you know that? The Ike Beit Hillel work on like Beit Hillel. Anim Ochlinum Aisrim. The Anim would have to take Meiser. Why? Because there's a famous debate of Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, which is Hefker Lani and Hefker or not. Can I make something hefker not to everybody, but only to a subset of people? Hefker might mean I remove my ownership. If I remove my ownership, it's free for anyone. Can I basically say, no, if an Ani takes it, then I've removed my ownership. You know, it's hefker for the Ani, I'm not for an Ani. So Beit Shammai says it works, and Beit Hillel says it does not work. So saying, according to Beit Hillel, it doesn't have a status of hefker. So according to Beit Hillel, maybe the Ani can take it, but never had a status of hefker, and therefore you'd have to take Misa. The Amalek Reb Yossi and Reb Yossi says, no. Shemanu Shupatimi Meister Dibre HaKol Mishum Knossa. No, actually, everybody agrees, even Beit Hillel, that this is not you making it Hefker. You, you might not be able to make something Hefker only to the Aniyim. That's a debate of Beit Shammai Beit Hillel. This is a rabbinic Knoss, and again, Hefker based in Hefker, and therefore, because it's a rabbinic knas and making it hefker, then it's completely hefker, although it's still true, only the anim can get it, but it has the full status of hefker, and therefore even Bikilel would agree that it's puts from master. So this is our proof that once Basin flexes their muscles and says hefker based in hefker, it actually gets to the status of being putter mamaiser. Now I want to say that, you know, again, what is the chiddish? I mean, if it's hefker, it's hefker. Is the chiddish might be that what does that mean, Hefker based in Hefker? You could conceptualize it the following way. You could say, if I go ahead and I take, if, if we made, if Hef, based in made Michael's Gemara Hefker there, and I go ahead and I take it, until I take it, it belongs to Michael. But Basin has just announced, anybody who wants to grab Michael's Gemara, you're entitled to it. Okay, but he still owns it until somebody grabs it. So then it was never really Hefker. So then it would be Chayiv and Meister, right? It went from being Michael's to being mine. So the Chiddush of being Pater Me Meister means that even before anybody has taken it, we have removed this property from Michael's ownership and sort of made it absolutely ownerless. And that's the Chiddush that therefore we would say it is even Pater from Meister because it was a, moment, a period of being ownerless. All right, so now let's go on. Next Mishnah. So that was about the consequence of the Kilayim and, you know, and based in having to uh, fine people and make their property ownerless because people were abusing the system. And now we go to the next Mishnah. So we're moving on from Rosh Chodesh Adar to the 15th of Adar. Yeah. In antiquity, is there is there a Masorah from Eretz Israel that the Mishnayot were actually not called Mishnayot, but were called Halachot? 
Oh, I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why it's halakha. Yeah, I don't know where that nomenclature came. I think that it's, I, I, I'm, you know, I think it's very post the Gemara itself. It's late. It's late, and it's a way of, of referring to Yerushalmi. Right. We also refer to the different Toseftas as halakha. So as a way of device, so you know, it's Tosefta Perakim I don't know. I don't know where it okay. developed. Okay, the Chamisha Sarbo on the fifteenth of Adar, Shulchanos Hayyoshim bin Medina. The uh, money changers would sit in the Medina. There was a question: What Medina means? Yerushalayim? Did it mean in the major metropolis? You know, metropolises. So they would. But anyway, money changers would be around, so you could go and change your money in order to get your half shekel. The Chavay on the twenty fifth, right? Nisan is just around the corner. Yashu bin Mikdash. They would be in the Beit HaMikdash. Um, again, it's a little bit funny, you would, you know, because uh, you'd think that people haven't given, they, why make them less accessible rather than, you know, because it's only in the Mikdash, it's in fewer places. But anyway, so I don't really understand that fully, but anyway, the money is getting closer to being brought to the Mikdash. Maybe, you know, your opportunities, you know, it's like if you do it, if you do it in advance, you can register online. But if you come late, you have to actually go in person to buy your tickets. So anyway, somehow, Somehow, as it was getting later, you know, all the money was finding its way to Yerushalayim, and the money changes. Well, Maybe they were also in Yerushalayim. Well, because yeah. you wanted to be in on time, you know, and then you want to make sure. Right. You're, you're so then you there, so make it exactly, source, exactly. Right? Once it's that, exactly. Once it's that late, if you got to get it in time, you got to bring it to Yerushalayim. Mishra Yashru b'Mikdash Mashkain. Now, from the time they sat in the Mikdash, anybody who did not pay, they would, uh, they would start um, uh, seizing their property. What's the word, Alamatkein? Um, take as collateral. But basically, yeah, I mean, so I'm trying to find a verb for that. Anyway, but Basin would basically seize your property and hold it as collateral until you paid up. They really wanted to ensure 100% participation. As Mimim Ashkenin, who would they um, do this for? Seize their property to ensure they paid. Levim Yisraelim, the Gaelim Vavadim Meshucharim, ladies and Yisraels, converts and freed slaves, any basically male adult, um, with the exceptions of Kwanim, which we'll get to. Abu Lo Nashim, not women, because this is patterned after the Machatisa Shekel in the Torah, which is men. The Abadim, or slaves, which we normally put in the same category. The Kitanim, and minors. Now, the interesting question is what defines minor? According to some Gerson and Umar we're about to read, minor is anybody under 20, based again on the Psukim, where it's, you know, Esrim Shanava Mala. Any minor that the father began to actually contribute for his sake. So already there was this idea of, you know, gi- giving for your, for the minor children or minor boys. For the tamid, yes. Right. Once you begin, you can't stop giving. Okay. That <laughs> sort of evokes ideas of once you start doing something, you know, three times and you have to, you're stuck with it. Anyway, but this is specifically in this context. Now, why do you not take the collateral from Karnim. So the first explanation is shalom for the ways of peace. You know, they basically feel, hey, we're working in the base of Mikdash and now you're seizing our property for the stuff of the base of Mikdash. Anyway, you don't want to get them angry at you. So, you know, they, they basically are still chayav, but you don't use as much muscle to get the money from them. Ben Buchri gave testimony in Yavne, because in Yavne, right, that was the first beginning of sort of systematizing Torah Shabbat Peh after the Korban Abayas. They set up shop in Yavne. They got everybody who had memories to testify about past practices. So he gave the following testimony in Yavne. Any Kohen that would give his shekel would not be sinning. Well, okay, of course, aren't you supposed to give the shekel? But we're going to see in a minute that the Kohen made an argument 
why they're not allowed to give their shekel. Because if they give their shekel, they have a part of korbanot zibur, and then the halacha is that a mincha of a kohen has to be fully burnt. So every, they'll say, every mincha, we can't have kohen ownership, because then we'll have to burn every mincha. So they made a very, a very convenient argument to explain why they not only were exempt, but maybe shouldn't be giving a shekel. So he said, you know what, if you want to give a shekel, it's not a problem. So, Amar lo Reb Yochadim Zakai, so Reb Yochadim Zakai, who was the head of Yavne, said to him, Loki, no, that's not the story. If you don't give your shekel, you're sinning. Meaning, it's not it's okay to give a shekel, it's that you have to give a shekel, and it's not you're sinning. But the Kohanim interpret the following pasuk to serve their own interests. And how do they read that pasuk? The kol minchas kohen kaliokia lo seachel. Any mincha kohen shall be totally burnt, cannot be eaten. So they'll make the following argument: Ho'el ve'omer she'alech and belecham apanim. Those are the minchas that are communal, where the money is going. The omer and the she'alech and belecham apanim every Shabbos. The omer she'alech is pesach and shvuas. Shalanuhein. If we would give our money to to the communal sacrifices, those would partly be ours. Then they wouldn't be able to be eaten. So, in the, for the for the sake of the tzibur and their interests, we will refuse to give our shekel. We have to refuse to give our shekel. So it's fascinating. I have to tell you, though, psychologically, it's an interesting thing because you know a rabbi who works for a show, you know, or you know, it's sort of like, well, I don't have to give towards the you know towards the uh, um, appeal, right? I'm already working for I the show. I'm already giving all of my time. So you know, it's the same type of like a psychology. Oh, I work for the base on I now have to donate for the Corbanos so they found a way to get themselves off <laughs> that's another way to think about it let's look at the Gemara you don't seize property for the Ketanim but you still ask okay for them to give so that's interesting why would you ask for the Ketanim to give if they're not yet obligated what? Oh, they could inherit property this is only true like he has two pubic hairs, which presumably mean he's bar mitzvah. Okay, so he's not a custom for other purposes, so you would therefore still ask him to contribute. Mm-hmm. But you don't demand it. But less than two pubic hairs, not. But you wouldn't actually seize his property. Um, now there's a question how you read this. Until even when he has two pubic hairs, and some have the gears. Okay, that's not in our girsa, but some have the girsa, not the one printed here, until he's 20, which again is fascinating, with like what, a halacha where 20 years matters, following the pattern of the psukim, and not, now again, and not the normal status of bar mitzvah. Okay, so okay. you him once he's... 13, he's, once he's bar mitzvah, once he's an adult, and other halachas, but you don't actually demand it and seize the property until he's 20. That's if you have that girsa. If you don't have that girsa, you could argue that it means two pubic hairs, but he hasn't hit 13 yet. Although then why the two hairs would matter is not clear. Okay. So a way to read our Mishnah, like, you know, Kani is a word that just sort of means like, here's a way of, uh, you know, of, 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 read, of, of reading it or of, 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 of establishing it. Right, Nachon, like to frame it, right? So this is the way to read our Mishnah that it's not, what is it, Dachei Shalom? Dachei Shalom here means to show respect to the Kohanim. You want to keep them in their important status. The whole thing here is for respect for the Korbanot and centrality of the Korbanot. You don't want it to start looking bad that the Kohanim are the ones that are being, you know, sort of, their property is being seized by Basin. So you want to hold them in a position of respect. Let's just finish the end of the Halacha. Amrav Yudah Heid. So this convenient pasuk that they interpreted for their own interests. 
Amr Reb Rachia. Time of Reb Yochanan ben Zakkai, the reason that Reb Yochanan ben Zakkai is clear that the Kohanim give is Zei knew from the Pesukim by the, by the Shekel. This is what they should give. So Zei in Gematria is 12. Yud Beis Shvatim Yitnu, 12 tribes give. Of course, if you know in the Torah, sometimes you get 12 without the Kohanim and Levim. Also, it would have excluded the Levim, not the Kohanim. Okay. Rabbi Tavi B'Shem Rav Amnuna Kain M'Shivin Chachamim L'Rabbi Yehuda. This is what the Chachamim respond to Rabbi Yehuda, right, in the Nishnah. Rabbi Yehuda ben, um, um, who, who said that the Kohanim didn't give. Um, so Chatas Yochid here's the answer to your point that oh a communal sacrifice we would have a part of it and would be a Kohen basically there's a big difference between a communal sacrifice and a private sacrifice and here's how they prove it Chatas Yochid Mesa if you have an individual Chatas that let's say something happens to it the owners die or whatever the Chatas has to be put to death has to let, let die Ain Chatas Tiber Mesa but you wouldn't say it by a communal Chatas so obviously once something is communal communal is not a lot of individuals Communal is a completely different corporate entity. So even if the Kohanim gives to a communal mincha, it's not going to make it a Kohen mincha. <coughs> Similarly, minchas yachid kreva, a kalio, a, a, a private Kohen's mincha would be burnt up fully. kalio, it wouldn't be true about a communal, that you still are part of the community and you still have to give. Okay. So now the Gemara just makes the point, the Kasha, we've got a problem. How could you challenge Rabbi Huda on a point that he doesn't concede? What point does he not concede? The whole example you gave of the difference between a private chatas and a communal one, Rabbi Huda doesn't hold of. Rabbi Huda holds that actually a communal chatas also is allowed to die. So how can you can they say, look, I'll prove to you, you know, Tibor is different than Yochid from the case of a chatas. He doesn't even conceive the case of a chatas. So, who mosi vlan? No. And he would respond that, no, even with that, though, who mosi vlan too, or though, look, nidvas Yochid he, the enun masivin la, the enun masvinin le. They would still say, you know, um, that this is still a private thing, a private contribution, and therefore, uh, you can, you know, you can bring it, um, to, you can, cha- you can, you can, um, you can challenge based on the difference between a private and a public, even if he doesn't concede the point about the chatas. Now, kivan shenimshel tzibur kimishu nidvas tzibur. Once it is, you know, given, and this is the reason behind it. Once you make a contribution, even as a yachid, then it's and it's given and it's um, and it's given over to the tzibur. Then it becomes communal. It's no longer your private. I own 0.2 percent of that korban. Now it becomes communal, and therefore, basically, what it's saying is, you know, what he might not concede the pace of chasas, but he can. But he should be able to admit to this just based on sort of like self-evident. You know, that there's a fundamental difference between a private contribution and something that becomes part of a public and communal fund. Okay, now we'll just end this. Ksiv, the Puzzle says, Koha Vera Pekudim, anybody that passes over the counting. Reb Yudav Reb Nechemya, Chadam or Koda Avar Biyama, it's like this phrase, Koha Over. So it means anybody that passed through the Yamsuf. Okay, I don't know how you get that from Pekudim, Pekud Yam or something. Anyway, anybody that passed through the Yamsuf has to give, meaning even the Kohanim have to give. Yitain. The Kharna Omer, and the Acher, Kharna is Acher, says, the other one says, no, from here on in, who gives? Only people that were part of Eila Pikudim. And as we know, the Kohanim had a separate count. Actually, again, it wasn't just the Kohanim, it was actually also the Livyim. So again, this is a little strange, that argument, but okay. 
Because that means everybody has to give, so that supports the position of Yochan Ben Zakai. And the one that says only those that were part of the normal counting gives, that supports Ben Bukhi, who says that only that the Quranim fundamentally do not have to give. Yeah. <laughs>